0: It is eight o'clock and welcome to another episode of Becoming Healers. I'm not alone today. I'm joined by amazing guests, um, women who are in different areas of medicine and healthcare in many different ways. And I'm so excited to have a conversation with them today about what it means to become a healer. Today's conversation will be around unpacking this idea of being stuck in the mold. If you haven't understood what we're doing here at Becoming Healers, we're really cultivating an atmosphere where clinicians as a whole can come together and understand each other's perspectives about the South African healthcare sector. And we're really creating a safe space to use conversation to help us transition to becoming more than just professionals, but healers. This entire space exists on one premise, we're really on two premises rather. The first premise is that we believe that while we may have graduated from institutions and gained the professional skill to help people at a bedside, there's something that has not happened and that is this transition of becoming a healer. We're suggesting that while we were equipped With the ability and the skill to assist people at the bedside, we did not necessarily get the tools that equipped us to be who we need to be in the South African healthcare sector. And we're using conversation and journeying through four hours to unpack what it could look like to become a healer. This first season is really about understanding what it looks like to forgive South African health care and this episode will be no different so I'm going to start by allowing our guests to introduce themselves. Ladies, please will you take a moment to set the scene um, and just introduce yourselves and tell the people who you are.
1: Thank you so much Lorata and the other ladies for having me today. So my name is Cassandra Gavender and I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm currently working as a mental health supervisor for Doctors Without Borders and seeing some patients on a Saturday to keep my clinical skills up. So yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell.
0: Thank you so much. Next up we have Minente Jamini. Please will introduce
2: yourself. Hi guys. So my name is Minetre and Tembu. <laughs> but everyone just loves saying Jamini. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm an occupational therapist um, at Nogutsula Special School um, for Learners with Special Needs and on the weekends, I locum at a mental health institution um, and I'm very passionate about mental health and just people healing from the inside out.
0: Samke, please will you introduce yourself?
3: Hi everybody. Um, I'm Sambili Maite. I am originally from Johannesburg, and I'm a medical uh, doctor by profession. I currently um, practice at Hope Cape Town, which is an NGO that has a majority focus on pediatric HIV and pediatric neurodevelopment. Um, But I have a huge passion um, in seeing all patients from all walks of life. So I also practice as a general practitioner in my um, spare time. Um, Yeah, And um, I've used that platform to um, just be able to reach out to my community. Um, Yeah, and so I'm currently based in Cape Town doing um, my work there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much ladies and I hope to everybody's watching that you're confident and comfortable that we have a panel of um, experts here in their own right definitely still journeying towards what that looks like in the border sense with people who have insights to share about what it means to be a clinician today in South African healthcare. If you're watching please engage us, ask questions, comment, like, share. We really want to have this conversation with you and not have you watch us so please do send questions through if you have any that be fed through to me and try to engage you as they come along. Um, And I'd really like to set the scene for the conversation today. You know, last week we spent some time, or before last week rather, we spent some time unpacking this idea of being stuck in the mud of South African healthcare and some of the complexities that exist with being a clinician in an environment that is um, that is challenged by its dysfunctions. And we wanted to escalate that conversation and invite this idea of being stuck in the mold. And when you think of molds, they they have value. You know, if you think of, um, if you want to make ice, you need to put it in sort of something, an ice tray that would mold it so you can have ice when you need it. So there's great value in having molds, but oftentimes they are restrictive. And I want to kick off the first section, which is realising. The first R&B coming is is realising. And that's just taking an opportunity through conversation to understand where we are with the specific thoughts in the context of South African healthcare. Um, And I'll ask you again, we need to start, but the question I have for you all is what mold has formed your idea and perspective of being a clinician in South African healthcare, and how has that mold assisted you or disappointed, in your, or disappointed you in your journey thus far?
2: Um, all right, so this took me a bit of a while to, to think about, but Basically, when people think about occupational therapists, it's either they're like, "Oh, they just play with children." They we just do cross, especially if we work in um, mental health institutions, um, or you're just an OT in terms of you don't really have or say you're just more of an accessory in terms of let of getting a patient discharged. Um, and I also wrote down here that. As OT, sometimes we seen as we we seen as we we just want to appease the doctor, but even though we have particular goals for the patient, if the doctor said X, X Y, and Z, then we need to do X, Y, and Z. So we're given very little room in our mold to, to do what's the ultimate, what's optimal, and what's best for our patients but on the other hand we have most people say occupational therapists are very loving they're very organized people that we are compassionate a friend of mine once said that ot's are like the engineers of people so we 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 are people we are in our profession we don't just look at the person Um, or or their dysfunction, we look at them holistically. We look at the fact that they're, what roles do they play? We look at the fact that, okay, they have a stroke. So X, Y, not just medically what's affected, but what happens as soon as they leave the hospital? Will they be able to go back to their jobs? Will they be um, able to be a father or mother? Will they be able to um, just really see beyond the hospital bed or beyond the treatment room. And I find that um, this, the way that occupational therapists have, have been viewed is, in a way that it has disappointed me because I find that it perpetuates a sense of burnout because you constantly have to prove yourself or you constantly have to, you're constantly thinking that, so if I don't do it for the patient, then who's going to do it, you know? Or when I was working at um, Helen Joseph, we used to have these um, patients needed to be discharged with wheelchairs if they uh, weren't able to walk and then would be called at like half, uh, half past three just before we knock off and they're like we can't discharge this patient because they need a wheelchair so it's just a thing of our profession has always been it's almost like an afterthought and a lot of people in our in our hospitals and in the settings we find ourselves in don't realize that the, our clients and our patients are more than that they're more than um, than a hospital bed or they're more than just a a learner at a school, but we want them to have a, a brighter future. But something that I'm grateful for about this mold is that it has helped me to realize that I need to go the extra mile for my patients. And I remember Dineo mentioned last week is that you, you're in a government setting, but you want your patients to have a private experience, a private pr- uh, hospital experience. That is a standard. So I find that because of this mold, my standard has always been that I I operate out of a place of love for my patients. And yeah, I operate out of a place of, I I don't just see them, their current situation now, but I see them in the community. I see them in their places of worship, I see them in their their workplaces, and I want to say, and I I want them to to live a meaningful life, to live a life where they feel that they can actually, they have something to give to society, to contribute to society. And yeah, um, just to close off with regards to the more positive ways, uh, uh, the more positive molds, or yeah, is that one of my friends, Bushale said to me that, um, my patients are in the best hands because they're in love's hands. And I think that's something that I find that I, I really love about my profession. It's you really learn how to operate out of a place of care and out of a place of love, because it's not just a bet. It's not just a, a stat that you write down, but it's, it's, it's an entire person that you, you have the privilege to be
0: entrusted with. So yeah, that's me. Wow. Um, that was so powerful. And I think what I heard you say was that your mold is invisible but valuable. And you have learned how to how to place value um, in that mold that is seemingly invisible. Cassandra, um, can you tell us about your mold?
1: So I think my mold as a psychologist is an interesting one and a little bit like many, I, I sometimes find with the illegitimate stepchild of the medical model where we get called in um, with no real understanding sometimes of what we can actually offer. Um, But I find that comes from both the public itself, as well as sometimes colleagues. So um, everybody has this perception. Firstly, no one ever wants to come to us. No one wants to see a psychologist. So um, they try really hard not to ever get to our office because if you get to our office, people start to think, oh no, does this mean we're crazy? So we have a lot of avoidance for referrals to us as well as people actually coming to us because of the the lack of knowing actually what we can offer. And I think that's what's so difficult is the molds that we have, which we are trained as psychologists is not the mold other people see. So the mold other people see is, you crazy people go there we don't want to go there and I think that's the thing we have to fight so we firstly have to fight the mold we're put in which is very challenging because often we can see the benefit we can give people but they just don't want to come to us or people don't refer to us because of just not wanting to be associated with psychology and psychologists um, and the mold that we are trained in um, is to I think and I think that's what makes it a little bit difficult is, it, is that we're trained to be quite neutral. We're trained to sort of take a step back and provide a space. And really what we're meant to do is provide a space to people where they can come and just be themselves uh, and a completely unconditional space of acceptance to unpack everything about themselves, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think that is a, a very powerful space and a really good space, but a scary one um, and one that's not well known. But I find within that mold, you know, our job is to help our clients and our patients find their voice, their own voice, and a place for them to be seen, you know, truly seen. And one of the things I've grappled with in terms of the mold that we're trained in is, is that enough? is it enough to just witness people's lives or should we advocate when things are not okay? Is it enough to hear people or do we need to also be a voice for them when they don't have one in society? And I think that's where I found a really big challenge in the training is that it takes us up to a certain point. And then when you go into a healthcare system like ours, sometimes I find sitting there with patients, I don't know if it's enough for me to just sit there hearing the challenges they're in and not to think about the fact that some of these systemic problems people need to talk about. Some of these need to be advocated for and where do we find our voice within that? So um, I think, you know, Mini highlighted so nicely the positives and some of the challenges. And I think what I always hold in mind is what a beautiful process it is to walk someone else's journey with them. And everyone's journey is so unique. And it's something I I'll, like, I'll really appreciate because a mold and what we call it in therapy actually is a frame is so important because it keeps ourselves safe and it keeps them safe. But at the same time, I think we have to question the usefulness of a frame all the time or the mold all the time and make sure that it serves the people that we're looking to serve.
0: You said a mouthful, you said so much. Like, I can't get past your your breaking down the mold they trained us in versus the one they put us in. I think just to, to appreciate that distinction first is so huge and I think those are the types of things I'd like to come out of this conversation for anybody who's watching, is to really try to see where you are, and that's what the realized section is about. And I love how you painted an atmosphere of tension, you know, that there's this mold you're trained in, trained in to provide environments that are inviting, that are safe. And then you're put in a context where, you know, it's almost like application denied. Um, and, and I absolutely, absolutely love how you also challenge about the idea of advocacy. You know, when you see these deals, what do you get to say? And what does it mean for you? Because your mold doesn't necessarily say you get to input, you just get to provide the space to observe. I don't have answers, but I'm just like, I'm hoping that um, the second section, Reconcile, you can go into that a little bit deeper. So, okay, I'm going to let you have your turn. What, um, what has framed your idea of your mold in the sector? And, and has it disappointed you
3: or has it assisted you? Yeah, thanks. Once again, thank you for having me, Lerato. I think this is such an awesome platform. Um, so I think, you know, very similar to what Cass said, um, often what frames our molds is what we're brought up with um, and what we see being um, portrayed in society. And I think um, coming from a place of a medical doctor, um, very often um, the mold of a medical doctor is one of. Um, you know reverence so it's sort of this big person who we all come to and we expect to leave with some form of um, great healing and this person is able to fix everything um, so you almost uh, sort of worship that idea of of that person. Um, so I think for me personally I, I uh, grew up having watched my GP, who often becomes a, a, a part of people's families um, because it's the person that you run to with um, uh, personal problems, social problems, medical problems. Um, so we, we, we start to, to incorporate that person into our family lives and, you know, your kids see them, your, your parents see them. Um, and that's what I looked to when I um, thought that this is what it is to be a medical doctor. Um, and yeah, like Cass mentioned, then you walk into, um, training and you realize that there's actually a whole different side to it. Um, there is a scientific process that leads to you becoming what you need to be in order to treat people safely and to also, um, you know just just in enable an, a space of healing. Um so I'm fortunate that I came from an institution which celebrated both of those things. Um being a scientist who is good at what they do and able to diagnose and also being a person who is able to see the person in front of you and um recognize that each of them comes with individual um backgrounds and individual um problems and sometimes just just seeing that person um, for who they are is enough for um, facilitating an environment of healing. Um, However, once again, moving into the sphere of a working environment and realizing that what you get taught and and what you have to now um, function in and operate within is not always the same thing. And you know, when you when I go back to the part of your question that says, How has that disappointed you? Yeah, you know, that disappoints you because you then realize that this, this that you thought you would do when you walk into the working world is not always what you're going to do. And sometimes you end up being the clinician who, whose job is to ensure that somebody walks in and walks out alive. Um and and that's what the system creates is 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 is. This body of medical doctor robots that ensure that people are alive and don't look into the holistic healthcare of of this person and the fact that they're not just um, a set of organs that require fixing, but that they're an entire human being who needs to walk out um, and be functional in terms of their um, healthcare. So, so that has disappointed me, and I think another part of this is that you know medicine is framed in such a way that it's level so you don't you you walk in as a, a student and you walk out a consultant or a professor or you know so so you have these levels at which when you walk in as a student, you're like, Oh my word, I can't wait until I'm a pediatrician, and you're constantly jumping to through these levels and not actually taking the time to recognize that am I functioning at the level of a healer within the level that I'm within the place that I'm at, so when I'm a student, am I functioning as a healer? When I'm um, an intern, I'm a functioning as a healer. And often those levels don't allow that. You'll often hear people saying things like when you're an intern, you're just a runner. Your job is to make sure that the big doctor does something. Um, and that in itself cripples uh, how we, we function as medical doctors. And I think that has disappointed me quite a lot, but I'm sure we'll unpack it as we talk further.
0: Sure. Um... You also just said a lot because I think I resonate with a lot of what you said as well. And I think what I appreciated in comparison to what Cass and Minnie had to say was there's almost a, an uncertainty about the mold that medical doctors carry. Um, it just feels like something doesn't finish, you know, whereas, whereas they could hold theirs and describe theirs and, and speak to what it is. There's, whether it's the fact that the journey doesn't end until you see yourself as ex specialist or, or are the experts in this. Um, But at the same time, you've got people on the sides who who really want to help you do your job well, and that's the allied healthcare professionals, Uh, but we're somewhere not seeing that and they're feeling like, why are you not inviting me and we're saying you're expecting too much from me. Um, And just the complexities of the environment that exists because of the moles that we have. Um, And thank you for how how honestly and vulnerably you've all answered. And I'm going to use just your context to help us step into the next section, which is um, reconciling. And I'd like to ask a question um, to all of you again. And that is, does the mold you just described um, improve or perpetuate some of the dysfunctions you see in South African healthcare? And I'd really like it if if you took that question further and answered it, not just as a professional, but personally. um, and, And speaking also to this idea of creating... The safest version of yourself. To expand on that, I had a conversation with one of my mentors, and we um, were talking about just COVID-19 and its challenges, and she, she just mentioned that, you know, this sector is not helping me create the safest version of myself. We speak often of the best version of ourselves, but is that best version the safest one, the one that enables you to step into all of your roles well? Wow. And so just to reiterate the question, does the mold you just described improve or perpetuate some of the dysfunctions you see in South African health. And can you answer that, not just as a professional, but as a person who has to step into that mold every day? Minnie?
2: Um, Yeah, this question is (laughs) quite tricky for me, um, purely because when you look at the, when I think of the positive aspects of my, of of this mold of being an occupational therapist in South Africa, like you are seen as a loving, compassionate and organized and always like willing to go the extra mile for your, for your clients or your patients. I, I find that it's great and it, it doesn't, maybe it the dysfunction that it perpetuates. is just a, dis- um, a dis- the dysfunction of, of burnouts, it, um, the dysfunction of, constantly fearing being rejected because if you don't do x y and z if you are not warm if you're not loving if you're not compassionate then that means you're not a good you're not a good occupational therapist and I think that I've met a lot of occupational therapists who don't have those kinds of those that kind of, of personality where they're they're as warm or they like light up a room whenever they go somewhere. And and they have felt that because of this mold, they feel quite tired and feels like they front a lot of the times because this is what is expected of them. So it's, it's, it's difficult to be their true selves because they're not they struggle to engage, but they still do their job. They, the standard is still great, but it's just the, that love aspect or that compassion aspect is, it's, 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 it's a bit, it's not, it's not there, you know? Um, and also something that, um, and I think this mold just perpetuates is just more of a, a interprofessional hate, so, like, a lot of the time, I, lo- I use the word hate quite loosely, but just um, can't think of a better a better word. But um, where um, the allies just almost, like, stick together and have each other's backs because we're like, yo, guys, you know that doctor, he's always saying X, Y, and Z, or you always have to have your story straight so that you don't... Um, You don't get thrown under the bus, so it's we constantly like have to, we 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 look at other, um, especially medical, uh, medical doctors as almost like the threat. It's like we 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 perform for them, but also at the same time we we have to cover our backs because if they say something, if they complain, then it's over for us. So just that resentment is really perpetuated by this mold of. of, um, uh, of being an occupational therapist, but, um, and also just the dysfunction for me personally is that I find that I lose a lot of, I lose my voice because I feel that so if the, especially in a psych hospital, you find that some, uh, uh, maybe psychologists or psychiatrists come and pull out patients while we're having our sessions that it's difficult for me to to respect them because they they demand the respect but when it it's on the other end when we need the respect then it's it's never really given and and it also harbors quite of a bit of a bitterness in my own heart or just a thing of it is what it is this is what they do and it also ties in what was what Usange said Wuti, like it's doctors are almost seen as these gods that we need to appease that we need to like it's their word um even if we disagree we cannot disagree with the doctor whether they're an intern or consultant like do not don't even go there you know so it's just for me personally it has just developed a bit of a a, 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 like a shutting down of my voice especially when I was working at a hospital where I just you don't bother anymore um, because you, you you feel quite shut down and Especially because growing up with all of, like, um, with our parents thinking that if you are a doctor, like, you're everything, it's 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 quite difficult to tell them that, ma, but I'm not a doctor, I'm an occupational therapist, and this is what OTs, but no, in their heads, you're like, you're a doctor, and you're, like, this amazing person. So it also perpetuates just a bit of, like, self-worth issues of, like, so am I just like if you studied occupational therapy, it's, it's, it's almost like you're wanna be a doctor, you're doctor light, you know, or like just it's, it's an inferior degree where you can't even compare the two because you don't, yes, uh, you, you want what's best for the patients, but you can't compare the two. And um, so it's, it's for me personally, it's just been a, a big journey of of navigating in terms of finding my own voice as a clinician, but also at the same time not harboring a bitterness and 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 also then thinking at the end of the day by having this in my heart it's not really benefiting my 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 patients or the clients in the end because if I'm not, if, if I don't want to speak out on their behalf because I feel I'm going to be shut down, then they're not getting the best care from my side. So um, it does sound a bit like I'm attacking doctors, but that's not, that's on my heart at all. <laughs> it's just that it, this is just an experience that I've had, especially when I was in, um, in, um, at, at the hospital that I did my community service at. So yeah. Ooh,
0: um, you also said a lot my mind is racing in a million directions at this point because um, I think you a lot of what you said was true, Minnie, Um And it may be hard to hear for us, but it's true. And I think the hardest part for me to sort of um, reconcile in this part of the conversation is how much of your mold is framed by our mold. And it almost feels like you're just trying to fit in um, to the mold we're presenting. You know, if you're trying to see a patient and I'm like, sorry, I need to, and I honestly just need to take a psych like, history here. Um, they'll come back and do the OT session. I'm a victim, like I did that. I'm not even like fronting, it's something I saw myself do while I was on site. So, um, I don't think anything you're saying is untrue, but I'm, I'm also deeply challenged by the idea that this, this hierarchical structure of being a doctor and this God-like complex that exists. And I think that was something Dr. Feline addressed in the first episode, that doctors need to stop being gods and they need to be human. Um, and this God-like persona, has now put every other allied professional in a space where it doesn't really matter what they have to offer. It matters more the agenda of the, of the doctor and we lose sight of the patient. And I mean, it may not be true for every situation, um, but I think your experience is valid and it's true and it's real. And that to me sounds like a very obvious perpetuation of dysfunction. Um, and so I'm hoping that this next part of the conversation after they've responded, we can, we can shift a bit, but I'm a little bit shook, I'm not gonna lie. Cass, do you want to take us through your, um, your perspective?
1: Well, I hope not to uh, shake you up even more, but I think that Mini mean, had some really great points. And, you know, I want to say that even as psychologists, I think, you know, in the system, everyone's trying to find their place of power. So, you know, the doctors are there and then the psychologists try and get in. And I think I I can recognize that I see the hierarchy. And I think what I was thinking about a lot is this idea of you said, you know, what is your safest version versus what is your best version? And for me, safe is something that is not necessarily desirable. It is very important to be safe, right? But safe implies comfort for me, and it implies something where you are stuck somewhere, keeping people in almost, you know, packing them in safe. That's what I think of when I think safe. Um, but best for me implies something that includes safe, but also includes. Um, being tailored, being unique, not being one of a kind. And, and I think that's the thing I was thinking about a lot is throughout my training and my experience in hospitals is we are taught to be safe because we're told not to rock the boat. I don't know how many times someone has told me that you don't change Barra, Barra changes you when I work there. And it was a really hard thing for me to reconcile that before I even stepped foot in that hospital, I had multiple people telling me that you don't change the system. It will change you. And I think that that is about safe. You know, that's the idea that comes to mind when I think of safe. It's that you have to go in there and get into your mold. You're a cog in a wheel with other cogs. And I think those are all of our disciplines. And we all have to get in there and keep turning and turning and churning out safety, which is people and making sure that all their organs intact, as long as they leave with all the organs they came in with, and hopefully the fixed organs with ones that were broken then everything is fine. Then we just keep that system going and we all operate or we are taught to operate in that system. And for me, I think that never resonated very well. And it's something that I struggle to do and I find as a result, you have two camps of people, people who are really excited and don't want to be part of this machine. They want to change the machine and people who've been there for a long time and they're like, well, you can't. So, um, you know, you're fighting against these two extremes where half the people hold to the change and half the people hold the not change and you're stuck at a loggerhead. So um, I guess that's sort of what I can think about in terms of just adding an extra layer onto some of the stuff Mini spoke about.
0: You did rock my boat, you're absolutely correct.
1: (laughs) And I think what rocked my boat was was just this
0: idea of being a cog In in a wheel, and you said something so powerful. You said that the, the role is just to go there and fix the organs in people's bodies. And I just immediately my thought was, Except those aren't the people who are most broken. Like, it's not the patient in the bed, it's the nurse who's putting up the drip, it's the doctor who's going to theater, it's us. Like, we're moving the wrong, like, we're fixing the wrong thing. And that's more and more what I'm finding is. We're looking in the wrong place. The pathology books say, it's that person who presents like this. How do we present? Like half of us are walking around, there, absolutely drowning um, because it's not working. So yes, it's a system and yes, it's functioning, but is it working? And I think half of this conversation is echoing a no. Um, so, so what do we do then? Sanke, will you weigh in on this please? <laughs>
3: Yeah, sure. So I feel like, you know, sometimes when you come in at the back end and you're like, oh my God, that was me. I did that. I did that. I'm so sorry. Um, but then it makes you realize that this is this is why we need to have these conversations to sort of understand that um, I was once in that position and I didn't think about how this action um, not only hurt or probably you know um, made another person's profession or job harder, but also did not um, equip the patient to be able to be holistically healthy because um, I remember in, in one of the episodes I think it was the previous one and um, somebody spoke about how it it doesn't just it's not just giving a injection that makes a person well there is so much more there is so much that is going on and I think I'll share a, a personal part about this, because I think why this question is so deep for me is because it became a reality when I did my community service in a, um, what you call like a regional, uh, not even regional, it was like a, a district level hospital, which is quite small and often you do, um, you do a lot of the work alone. So, you um, are then, you know, often you're told, yeah, you are equipped and prepared to be safe enough to do this. Um, and what I found was that I was I was living in between different calls and different patients and never taking the time to realize whether or not I gave that one person all that they required to be able to walk out of here healthy. Um, and, and that is where I feel like we're actually not, we're giving, we're doing a disservice to the people that we serve. Because by creating these people who, um, whose job it is to make sure that when I'm finished with um, you know treating a diabetic uh, patient in an emergency they are now normoglycemic and, and they're hap- and they're healthy and we can discharge them and and I didn't think about um, how whether or not that person, um, the reason why they were in DKA was because they didn't understand why they needed to take this medication or that there was so much going on in their lives that they required the the space to talk about that. But no, 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 I don't have time because I'm the busy one and I've got to get done with this patient so that I can move on to the next patient um, and I think that, that that's one aspect is is I recognized within myself that I lost the ability to treat patients and I was treating conditions and ensuring that that um, was was taken care of because I'm a safe doctor if I am able to manage diabetes I'm a safe doctor if I'm a, able to suture um, not that I'm a safe doctor if I'm able to make a create a comfortable space for someone to talk about what is happening in their lives so that I can, if I can't do anything about it, refer them to my professional um, friend, Cassandra, who is equipped and who has studied to do that. Um, so so you, you often find that that is what you become. So when I was done with my CommServe, I had reached a level of burnout um, that was beyond control that I even left medicine. Um, and, and and that was my reality. My reality was that I could not deal with who I had become through the system that I left and I said, I would rather do anything else than work in, in, that, um, in that mold in that mold. Um, I would rather be anywhere else. and, and, and that w- was what scared me. And so when I came back and I reintroduced into the system, I made a conscious decision that, I would not allow that to be um, my reality. Um, if I am going to be a healer in this space, I would need to define what that looks like and communicate that to everyone else that I work with. That in this space, we work together, um, and every single part of this body, of this entire system, is necessary for this patient. And I think. Um, now that 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 has been made has made sense to me, I see how we can function together. Um so yes, I think it's 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 the importance of recognizing that this constant rat race of I need to become, I need to become, um, means that while I'm in while I'm a serve, I'm just treating the conditions that allow me to become a pediatrician. Yeah.
0: That's so good. Um, you all said a mouthful. I'm just like, wow, I wish I had like all the time in the world um, to just pull from you and draw from you. And I think you guys have set the tone really nicely for this next hour we're going into, which is re-educating. And I mean, you guys have really clearly set the tone about the challenges that we face. When we, when we enter into roles that are, we're either put in, that we're trained in or that we exist in. Um, and today I was in a conversation with leaders in a business school um, about innovation and their learning journeys while they innovate. And um, imagine with me, if you're watching, your HOD, your most senior person asking you this question. This is a question I want you guys to take on and to really invite um, a new narrative and invite yourself to be re-educated about your mold. Um, I think an important part of this re-educate section is to choose to adopt a different paradigm. Um, and so in this conversation today, you know, we're talking about coercion and different, you know, Phrases in the learning and innovation space. Um, But what was powerful was it was a room full of executives who had blocked time out in the calendar to create spaces where vulnerability was permitted so that through thought and conversation, they could all be empowered and reformed. And the lady ended up the session by asking this question to, to the delegates, what do you need me to see that I can't see? Can you help me learn? And I heard that and I was just like, imagine, finishing ward round <laughs> and having your most senior person ask you, you know, did I miss something? Can you help me learn? And that's something I want us to do here now. You guys have all spoken about the weight of how our molds have almost perpetuated dysfunctions in many ways. And so I think this is an opportunity to invite each other to learn about a different narrative. And so the question we're gonna ask for, the question you're gonna answer as if it's asked by someone else is, What's missing in my mold? So, Samke, would you please tell Minnie what you think is missing in the mold of an occupational therapist that can sort of move doctors and occupational therapists together towards dysfunction? The same thing's going to happen with Minnie, we will tell Cassandra um, what she believes is missing in the mold. Of a psychologist, as a from the OT's perspective, and then Cassandra will tell Samke, and I'm really hoping that as you as you answer this question, you'll see more than just the person you've now met through conversation, but the profession they represent, and then really challenge what's missing in the molds of. Um, an OT from a doctor's perspective, and uh, a psychologist from an OT's perspective, and then a doctor from a psychologist's perspective. So I hope it is not too confusing and it makes sense, but I'm interested to hear what 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 you see as missing from the other side of the, of the narrative. So would you please kick us off, Sam, and you tell Minnie what you think is missing
3: in the narrative of a occupational therapist? Thank you. I actually, um, really happy that you gave me too many, because I have had that narrative in, you know, working for an NGO, um, where you, we now start to restructure the roles, the roles are no longer, um, you know, I, I tell what you what to do, and then or I refer to um, an occupational therapist, and then she um, sees, you know, it is more of a collaborative effort. And, and obviously, when you're working with pediatrics, it is imperative that we all collaborate from the very beginning, from the beginning of the patient entering into our room um, because that patient needs to walk out of here with all of those pieces and what are we are gonna do in, in you know, going on in this person's plan. However, what I would say and, and, and that is having learned from somebody who I worked with who, who had to do this in order for us to understand why it was that they were so important. And that is that often when I worked in, in hospitals or in clinics, um, what I missed from the occupational therapist that I worked with was the ability to speak out loud exactly what it is that they expected from us. Um, I think it is so, it's so important that we teach one another. Um, in, in the society or in the, in the system that we work in, um, it is assumed that we always know. And I think that that is the problem, is that when you come in with an assumption that people know, um, we offend one another. Because, you know, how dare that doctor not know that I'm not the one that, that prescribes moon boots? That's not my job. Um, that, you know, how dare that doctor not know that there's a difference between a speech therapist and an audiologist? Um, well, maybe because they've never ever had to know. Um, they've always had to know their own thing and they've had to function within their own sphere. Um, and I think what is, what is very important in, 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 in working together is to be able to be teachable, but to also teach. Um, and I think if there's one thing that I would say, um, you know, when we work with one another in order to um, achieve a common goal, it's to always humble ourselves and to recognize when we don't know. Um, but I think what I would love or have loved to have had before I got to an NGO space was somebody who was in the allied space, and I'll use occupational therapy because that is the example, you know, coming to me and sort of saying, hey, you know, let's, let's work together on this and teach other people. Um, what it is that we do because I think it's it's like you were saying that when when people apply or when people hear occupational therapy there's, a, there, there's it's like confusion. it's like what do you mean? are you a doctor? are you a you know and let us not assume that that, that doesn't happen even with professionals. Even professionals sometimes will say things like, I actually don't really know what what you know. Why are you referring me to an occupational therapist? What are they going to do for me? Um, and unfortunately, it's an unfair thing because nobody had you know no, no doctor has to teach other people what they're doing because it's just obvious that you're the doctor. You you know, but we we require that teaching. We require to be taught. And if it has to be forced down our throats, I wish that there were more assertive um, allied health sciences because. I, would, I definitely know that a lot of my patients that were discharged were done a disservice because they would have needed that service. Um, I think an, an, an example is, I mean, I'll give a shout out. I work with an the occupational therapist the named Robin, and she, you know, the amount of, of extra that she does, she goes to the, to the extra mile of calling the teacher of that child to find out what behaviors that child, um, you know, portrays within the classroom. And I'm just like, what? Why? Why does anybody do that? And now, you know, and I think it's just like, uh, why aren't we doing that? This kid goes to school, this kid has parents and they function in different spaces. So if that occupational therapist goes that extra mile and does that, I can learn something from that. Um, but I would have never known that if I didn't work in an NGO. If I worked in a hospital, I would have been like, oh, oh, the occupational therapist is playing with the kids for this hour. Um, and, and that's literally what you would think that's going on. Oh, you know, send the, send the patient who's got an, have who, just um, uh, managed the hand fracture to the occupational therapist because they need to go back to work. Um, and not really questioning whether or not that is really what you do. So I implore you um, as a profession, of, you know, as allied, um, challenge. challenge. I mean, I think even as young doctors, sometimes we have to challenge the consultant because I hear you, you're a consultant, you're great, you did all these amazing things to become where you became, but you're human, which means you can be wrong. Um, so are we going to work together or are we going to um, keep this idea that the doctor is a God, therefore they knew? Um, yeah.
0: Wow, I'm going to comment when you guys are done because I don't want to interrupt this flow. So, Minnie, will you please tell Cassandra what you believe is missing in the mold of, of her perspective and psychologists?
2: Okay, yo. So, um, this is, I haven't really worked with psychologists per se, but just in terms of the experiences that a lot of my colleagues and friends that are OTs Um, have had with psychologists, this is just what I'll I'll be saying. (laughs) Um, So I think the first thing is that we'd like uh, psychologists to acknowledge that occupational therapists also have knowledge with regards to psychology. Like we did, um, I think, three years, if I'm not mistaken, of psych, (laughs) and um, in, in, in our undergrad, we 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 were taught we we were taught to understand people, but it's it's very difficult because like when we talk about these um these terms and we we start to we want to partner with you guys, we it the, there's this almost like the scope of practice, there's this line that you're like, but OTs are not meant to cross this line. And I just think that It would be amazing if maybe the psychologist could just understand that we also have that background to our to our degree and 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 also just consider us um especially in terms of planning um for 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 patients and and um i've also had heard of instances where it sometimes seems that occupational therapists poach um psychology um uh, patients from psychologists but I think that because of the scope of your work you deal a lot with well in my understanding you deal a lot with the unpacking of the issues and then um really experiencing the emotions and and um yeah just the things that that unravel in therapy but what occupational therapist does is that okay we see the trauma we see that you need to unpack this but these are the the steps that we 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 want you to take, so that what you do with your psychologist um, has lasting effects, has functional effects, and I think that it's also something that um, yeah, that psychologists need to consider, in that we 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 speak the same language, but. Whereas occupational therapists, they we just help to join the dots of what of, of the unpacking process and we, we want them to um to flourish out of that place. It's not that we want to do your jobs for you. Um and I I also am aware that there's been a lot of um just uh what's the word? Uh, it comes across that sometimes, especially in a mental health institution, psychologists can be very territorial about these are the assessments that we do. OTs are not meant to do this and stuff like that. And, And I think that it's also something maybe universities should consult each other about where like OTs and psychologists fight over who does what assessment, but where does that put the patient? And I think that we need to get to a point where we, we put our pride aside and we think about okay, so what's best for this patient. So I just think that respecting one another in terms of the 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 um, the knowledge that we and the knowledge and the skills that we gained in our degrees because we're not there to to steal from one another, but we're there to collaborate so that our patients can um, can function optimally and um, we can also learn from one another. I think that um yeah those are the main points that i wanted to to raise not having experienced it firsthand but just from conversations that i've had with my friends
0: yeah thank you so much you did a great job and i I think i even learned i didn't know that there were so many similarities um in your profession actually um and then to take us to the end of this section cass would you please tell sanke what you think is missing in the mold i'm a medical doctor
1: great so i think You know, the first thing that I'm going to talk about is sharing the load, which I think both the ladies have mentioned. And I think that's something we can all learn from each other's mold, which is that we, I think, you know, just as Samke mentioned that she found out that the OT gets all this information, I think psychologists too have a unique way, obviously, of dealing with patients and we get access to information, which I think can sometimes be very useful in treatment planning for doctors. And I think one of the challenges is that doctors find it very difficult when they are when treatment planning is not in their hands. Treatment planning is the doctor's job. They suggest everything that needs to happen. And my biggest challenge is that because of the medical mold, most doctors think very medically, very clinically, but they don't think holistically and people are holistic beings. They require all types of interventions. If we really want to say we've helped someone and we've healed someone. um, And I think it's important to also think about do we want to heal people or do we want to just, you know, from a general point of view or do we want to do it from what we think is the point of view? So I guess, you know, the thing that I, I would really like doctors to take on board is that idea of collaborating more and i think it comes from the hierarchy i guess we all uh, are culprits of not really collaborating as much as we should so the take-home is we all need to come home and collaborate more and advocate more for our services you know not wait for someone to to take them up but to actually say this needs to be taken up but One of the other really, really important things and and things that I hope for is that a lot of the other professionals are a little bit more in contact with this idea that they are vulnerable and they have mental health. Whereas doctors almost seem to have this idea, either they're, I don't know if some people feel they're not allowed to have it and others feel like it just doesn't exist. So I often find the real challenge with collaboration between psychologists and doctors is because doctors don't believe in their own mental health, they can't recommend it because how can you recommend something you don't experience for yourself? So my biggest request for doctors is actually to look after themselves because it's only after you truly look after yourself in a holistic way that you can look after someone else. So I would really hope that, um, yeah, you find a way to look into yourself and find yourself within yourself. And then you can help your patients find their needs.
0: I know for a fact you struck a nerve, Cass.
1: <laughs>
0: I, see, I see some cases, and I'm just like, I know that was a lot. I know you were dragging every single one of us. It doesn't matter where we are, because yeah, that's true. I mean, it may be hard for us to admit, it may be hard for us to say, but it is the truth. Um, and thank you. I think this exercise is so fruitful. I don't think we get many opportunities to allow each other's paradigms to affect how we do things. And what I heard you guys say that was really powerful for me was, for example, some kids speaking to, to many saying, allies, we need your voice. We need you to come up and show up louder. We need to hear you. Um, and I think you guys have mentioned so clearly how almost dominating doctors can be when they enter into any clinical environment. Uh, but that. Don't let that intimidate you. Show up, say what you need to say, re, re, readjust, guide us, show us the way. Um, and, and thank you also, um, I think it was, what was our order again? Minnie speaking to Cass and saying, we want to collaborate with you, you know, invite us, let's have more conversation. And then obviously Cass dragging us and saying, we need to take care of ourselves, which is great because it's true. Um, And I guess to close the the conversation, because we've got about six minutes left, I really want us to finish off and release ourselves um, to to showing up and and readjusting and reframing these molds. You guys have said such powerful things um, about molds and also journey through conversation in such a way that I think none of us can leave here um, truly saying that the mold we know is the mold we need to stick to. But just to close off, I want to ask you all, and in the context of the molds we've spoken about for your various disciplines um, and in the molds you hope to see, but also in yourselves personally, what is your hope for South African healthcare? My favorite question, an important question, and I think it helps us set a hope and for lack of a better term, set a mold for where we want to go with South African healthcare. So if you would please take me through that question before we close.
2: Um, yay, so you asked this question, I'm so excited for it, <laughs> because um, I just want to hop on to what um, Cassandra said, and I'm just going to use this as this balloon analogy that um, we as healthcare professionals, we can look at ourselves this way, we're a balloon that's blown up, um, we have a lot of things in our lives, but if we neglect our mental health, if we neglect who we are on the inside, when the fire comes, when the system does not allow us, I'm sorry for the sound, woo, we will burn out. And as you saw with Usange, she she left medicine. Um, some of us just don't even want to go back to hospitals no more because we just, <laughs> we're still healing from there, you know. So um, I really think that um, as healthcare professionals, let's let's um, consider our mental health, let's consider each other, and also then let's work on ourselves. And I think that Lerato um, mentioned it in the first episode, that you want us to work on our soft skills. And I think that this balloon represents healthcare professionals that have the skills, the soft skills, the um, personal, man- personal management, the conflict management, your self-aware, you're, you're really in touch with yourself, so that you know that this is my capacity, this is where I start, and this is where I end. So that when the system goes wonky and things don't work out, the balloon won't burst. We might get a bit, um, might get a bit scarred. We have those a bit of bruises here and there, but. We still, we still holding it together, and if we're holding it together for ourselves, we can also hold it together for our patients. So yeah, that's my hope for our South African healthcare system. As a sermon, but I let you
0: know. Um, <laughs> Cass, would
1: you please take us through your hope? Well, first, I just want to say, if anyone didn't know the value of an occupational therapist, I think we just found out. Um, <laughs> But I guess for me, what I really, really would hope is, I think I would like a bit of authenticity in our system. I would like our systems to be able to look at look at itself like we did today and to think about what are the things going right and what are the things going wrong. And for for there to be space for us to challenge the status quo, for us not to want to reach a certain point where things are just lulling, but to to really want to heal South Africans and to put in the time and energy and effort to think about that and to keep it changing. So I guess I don't want us to be cogs in a wheel anymore. I want us to have, you know, a a system in which, you know, a practical system, I'm not asking for magical dreams, because I think every time you pitch this idea, everyone starts to think like, whoa, calm down, you know, this is too much. But I, I really think it's about being honest about where we are where we are failing and, and where we're succeeding and trying to sit down and collaboratively change that. So that's my hope is we work together to make some changes. Sound good? Yeah, um, sure. So I think,
3: look, I've, I've learned a lot from, you know, over the years from a lot of my colleagues. Um, I think a lot of my learning about what we require for a functional healthcare system has, more, has been more in, you know, gaining from what other people um, think is important than from what you learned in a university textbook. And I think that is what I hope for in a, in a, in a healthcare system that works, is one that recognizes that each part of it. Is necessary. I think um, 2020 was the first time in which I saw nurses being celebrated at such a big level because I think we realized during COVID nineteen for the first time how we cannot function without that system. And often people are just like, "Oh, why are they striking? Oh, they're always striking." Um, and and we're always so quick to post the video of the nurse who was sleeping. Or yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's not bad. There are but there is there is you know, but it needs to come together in order for it to be something that is. Um, stellar and world-class. And I, I would hope um, that we move together as a healthcare system, as we're doing now, um, that understands that without the one, um, we, we can't have the other. And, and that is just what it is. You know, if you don't have an intern drawing bloods, then the patient doesn't have the bloods done, or they don't have those results. You know, without the ability to recognize that there's something wrong um, in a patient's mental space, um, then we, co- we continue continuing perpetuating a system in which people are walking around depressed, anxious, and not having a diagnosis. Um, so I think it, it's to bring together that each and every function is important and that if we don't recognize it and if we don't take the time to teach ourselves how those things are important and to speak to one another in conversation about how do we improve ourselves? Because um, this idea that we walk out of university great is so poor. Um, it is, it is really poor. I think what I've learned post-university, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot, but yeah.
0: Thank you so much, ladies, for your time. Um, this conversation has been so meaningful, so fruitful. I'm hopeful that everybody who joined um, really, really enjoyed it. I didn't get feedback about questions. So I'm sure there were lots of comments, but thank you for joining us. We'll be back on the 5th of June to have another interesting conversation about what it looks like to become leaders. Thank you to my guests. You guys were absolutely incredible. I'm inspired. I can't wait to listen to this again. Um, and I hope that you guys continue on in the molds you've suggested and continue on in the journey to becoming Thank you so much and um, God bless and good night.